Welcome to Travels in a Mathematical World, a podcast from the Institute of Mathematics and its applications, the IMA. My name is Peter Rowlett. This is episode 44. 44 is the smallest number, which is the sum of a reversible pair of non-palindromic primes. This week on the podcast, we hear from Dr. Andrew Cates of SOS Children, uh, who talks about his career working for Shell in various roles, uh, and his more recent work for the charity SOS Children, uh, the world's largest orphan and abandoned children's charity. This recording was made live uh, during a panel discussion at the Young Researchers in Mathematics 2009 conference. I uh, came up to read, came, uh, to read maths here in uh, 83. I did part three in 86. I did a PhD in um, uh, Damped, as was uh, for David Crichton. My PhD was looking at nonlinear, uh, well, nonlinear acoustic flow or nonlinear equation theory, depending on which, which direction you want to take it from. At the end of my PhD, I um, looked around and for the first time actually seriously thought about doing anything other than academia. I was the inverse, um, because I always thought I'd come back to academia after I'd done a few years somewhere else. And um, the first job that I had somewhere else was working as a research scientist in industry. Uh, It was uh, a year or so after the Piper Alpha disaster in the North Sea. So um, I got a job working in explosion research, looking at designing offshore platforms, and it was the fantastic little boy's job. Um, I, I had an experimental budget of about three, three quarters of a million a year, and it was all building things, blowing them up, monitoring them, <laughs> <laughs> and, and having different ideas about alleviating the consequences of it. So that was great. We had a big experimental site in Spade Adam in Scotland. Um, it was very nicely uh, positioned right in the middle of a, a, a huge uh, military site so that if we had anything that uh, went up too spectacularly you could always blame the uh, RAF who had all the, of the surrounding territory and uh, it was great fun. <clears throat> At the end of uh, two years I thought okay um, uh, time to return to uh, where I always thought I would spend my career and I came back as a research fellow at uh, Emmanuel College um, and it was great. And after I'd been back for six months I got a knock on the door from Shell, who'd been the company I'd been doing exposure research for. And before I tell you about Shell, I need to tell you a couple of things about Belgium. Um, the, re- <laughs> the, re- the reason is, Belgium is the 11th biggest country in the world. About 4% of the total economic activity in the world is in Belgium. Belgium has about 4% of the world's energy consumption. And the reason why I'm talking about Belgium, is actually, on most ways you can measure it, Belgium is the same size as Shell. So although this is a single company, and you think of it as a set of oil uh, uh, outlets, it is actually the consumer of 4% of the total planet's energy in its own and in its subcontracted operations. The turnover of the company is about the same as the GNP of Belgium. It is massive. And the only reason why I say it's massive is that there are two things about going to work for a company like that. The first is, if you do, as I did, end up running about 1% of Shell, which is very insignificant, you're still running something which would be in the top half of the FTSE 100 as a standalone company. So you're still dealing with things which have got serious, serious scale to them. And the second thing is, it's very naive looking at anything on that scale to believe that it will be a pure monoculture 
with a single way of doing things and a single ethic and uh, you know, no criminals and things of that scale don't exist without all of their own issues and variations and so on. So you shouldn't believe necessarily that my experience or another person's experience in a big company of that, of that sort will be the same as the one that you have. I'm just here to tell you about mine. Which is... So they, they uh, knocked on my door and they said, well, um, why don't you come back and do something completely different? We think that rather than being a technical person, you're actually a commercial person. What we'll do is we'll give you 18 months um, uh, uh, going around as an international strategy consultant, um, looking at different shell operations in different places of the world, giving them advice on what they're doing right and wrong and, and, and so on, and at the end of it, you'll find something interesting. So, well, why not? Travel the world. I, I think I went to 40-odd countries. Um, I did some very interesting uh, uh, strategy work. Quite a lot of it just, I think, still exists as a, as a tool, uh, using some interesting software models on uh, 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 modelling different environments and, and, and flows and so on. And at the end of it, they came to me and they said, OK, here's the challenge. We've got an operating company, it's got 300 employees, um, we'd like you to manage it, but the snag is, it's in West Africa, it's entirely French-speaking, we know you don't speak French, but you'll sort it out, and um, there are no other Europeans working for it. Oh, and it's a government joint venture as well, so the, the control that you have and everything is, is, is rather involved. So, fine. I went to West Africa, I spent three years, I learned French, um, I now have the very amusing experience whenever I speak on the phone, phone to a French person and they then meet me in person, they cannot believe that I'm, I, I'm white. Because I speak French <laughs> like, like a, an African uh, native from Côte d'Ivoire, where I was, um, which, is, uh, which is great. Um, and it was very successful, it worked really well, I came back and they said, OK, well, we've got another challenge for you. Um, uh, the next one is... We'd like you to run everything on the globe that we sell to a ship. So Shell has about 10% of the total global market in marine fuels. And that meant, I, I think at the time, I was responsible for the sales, which contributed something like 3% of the whole planet's um, acid rain. Um, because most of it comes from sulfur in, in ships. I mean, it's, it's the acid rain we hope mainly, that falls on the sea rather than on the land, but it's still the... So that was very interesting, that worked very well. Again, um, uh, I made some big changes, it was very successful, I was lucky. Um, I was lucky in Africa too, and then uh, I had the next set of challenges, which is that I was... Uh, 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 the uh, electricity and gas market was deregulating. Um, we were moving from a situation where there were um, large numbers of... Uh, uh, regulated monopolies, and I was given the um, European um, gas and power operations in Shell to manage. Uh, gas in Europe contributes maybe two and a half billion, three billion dollars profit a year to Shell, something of that order. It's a fairly large item, um, <coughs> but of course the interests are fragmented across a large number of different places, so managing that was great fun. And at the end of that, um, uh, I was uh, um, uh, senior executive, enjoying myself greatly, and then I decided I would do something completely different. Um, I took an 85% pay cut, which is more a reflection of the fact that I was grossly overpaid than the fact that I'm now in, in extreme poverty. Um, and um, I moved to work for a charity in, uh, in Cambridge, um, which is raising funds for basically orphans, so the main source of uh, uh, um, projects is West Africa. 
Um, it's quite uh, personally gratifying because when I was in West Africa, I had a number of close friends who had children who I taught to count and taught to swim in my expatriate swimming pool in my uh, villa and so on, uh, who died of AIDS after I left. And suddenly turning around and thinking that these kids were there on the street with no one to look after them in, was something which um, my wife and I had been talking about for a while. Um, but we waited until the right job came up and the right opportunity came up and I took it. And actually, that's been very interesting too. Um, I now have an office of um, 14 people rather than many hundreds. Um, I no longer have a very large number of highly qualified engineers working for me. I don't have any engineers working for me at all. Um, uh, and um, uh, the, um, uh, the challenges are interesting but different. We, four or five years ago, decided that we would have a, a major shift completely out of direct mail, which had been the main fundraising that we'd done. Uh, we do mainly internet fundraising. Uh, 85-90% of our money comes from online donations. Our income's gone up by a factor of uh, four since I started five years ago, and all of our costs in the UK have fallen. So from our point of view, it's great. The amount we actually send abroad to, to, to help uh, kids has gone up by a factor of 10. Um, it's very satisfying. Our trustees are very uh, happy. And although it's at a vastly different scale and vastly different level of complexity to what I was doing before, um, I still get a big buzz out of it. So I'm, I'm very happy with all of it. And I'd have to say, um, I, I'm probably at the opposite end from you. If you ask me the question, how often do I um, uh, draw equations and think about them and so on, it would probably be every single day. But they're not necessarily linked to my work. I'm just a, I'm just a perpetual hobbyist that I'm always thinking about, so I will always sit and, you know, I'll go and uh, uh, read a, an article on Wikipedia about a problem I've never come across before, and then the next three months I'll be sort of sitting, scratching at bits of paper uh, at loose ends and doing it. Uh, that's just the way it is. You can't get out of your blood if you do. Um, but um, in terms of what I practically used in work, um, the answer would be, undoubtedly, the thing that you use a great deal is the stats. Um, and the thing that is everywhere and is done wrong and loses people a lot of money and so on is the stats. Um, I, I, before now, I said um, I, I think having um, multilinear regression on Excel is, is like offering uh, a, a class A drugs over the counter in a, in a psychiatric hospital. Everywhere you go, you have people who pick them up, don't understand them, pick five variables or find five variables, draw some absolutely rubbish inference out of them, and then you have the problem about how you manage to persuade them that they don't have a model, they don't understand what's happening, and this is a, this is a, 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 a seriously bad way of guiding what you do. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that. Um, I'll put some links, including a link to SOS Children, if you want to find out more uh, in the show notes for this episode. This recording was made live uh, during a panel discussion at the Young Researchers in Mathematics 2009 conference at the University of Cambridge. So you can find out more about this group and watch the whole panel discussion. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes. The link to the show notes and more information about the podcast and the Facebook page and and etc. etc. are available through www.travelsinamathematicalworld.co.uk. 
If you're interested to learn more about what I do for the IMA, uh, you may follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Peter Rowlett, R-O-W-L-E-T-T. Thank you for listening.